0: Welcome to Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen, featuring Vinnie Maltz and presented by Bloodline Hockey. Each episode, will dive into discovering meaningful stories and connections that have helped hockey coaches and players shape their professional philosophies and personal character through the art of sport. Our show is designed to honor one of the greatest pioneers of coaching innovation and connection, Coach Roger Nielsen. Hey guys, as most of our listeners are already aware, the Roger Nielsen's coaching clinic was officially canceled this past year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we adapted quickly and created the Roger Nielsen's Coaches Connection. Uh, It's a private Facebook community designed to continue to provide our coaches out there a place to connect, learn, and inspire each other during this very challenging time for people across the globe. If you'd like to join us in our private group, just search Roger Nielsen's Coaches Connection on Facebook and simply ask to join the group. We've had some incredible presentations and guest speakers that we know any coach would not want to miss out on. As we mentioned last episode, we took a little bit of a break over the last few months, so we're excited to bring you some of the episodes that we haven't loaded yet. This episode today might be my favorite one yet. Uh, During the pandemic, we started this initiative in our Coaches Connection Facebook group called uh, Coffee with Coaches. So we had guest panels join us live. We would do these on uh, Fridays at uh, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, Basically, they come in and they join us with other coaches listening in, and the coaches were able to ask questions. So it was a really cool and unique experience to be able to go through and share with you guys today here. So on this episode, we had 100 coaches from all over the globe join in on this very special panel discussion. Episode 13 features some incredible voices from Hockey Canada's women's national team program. We have Gina Kingsbury, who is the director of the women's national team, Troy Ryan, who is the head coach of the national team, and the legendary Mel Davidson, who is currently the head scout for the national team and also served as the head coach. Of the 2006 and 2010 gold medal olympic teams some key topics we touched on included why coaches should use this pandemic experience to professionally develop themselves what resources have they been using during the pandemic to improve their own leadership skills what were their thoughts on the state of female hockey currently what's the key differences to pay attention to when coaching girls versus boys what has evolved in the game with developing players then versus now and what they believe is the most important thing to building a championship culture and so much more. All right, coaches, thank you again for coming on. Coffee with Coaches. We're excited each week to be able to present and obviously get into different topics of discussion. Uh, This week, we're excited to have uh, Hockey Canada's women's uh, crew. we got a a couple of great leaders from their team. We have Gina Kingsbury, the director of uh, Hockey Canada's women's national teams. Uh, Troy Ryan is the head coach of Hockey Canada's national women's program, and uh, Melody Davidson, the head scout of Hockey Canada's national teams. Uh, excited to have you guys. Welcome, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us today.
1: Thanks for having
0: yeah, us. Great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So jumping right on in, right? I guess, um, you know we have, there's obviously a lot of different things we wanna get into today, but I think starting off guys of uh, landscape of the game, I think we can kind of jump into how how have things, you know, been going? What are the, you know, some of the parts we can kind of just get after it and kind of just give a, a general overview of how things have been going and lead from there? Mel, you want to get after
2: it? <laughs> Here, well, Mel told me to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let the games begin.
1: <laughs> well, I think, you know, On the scouting side, we lost uh, a little bit. We got shut down around U-Sport Nationals and um you know SO Cup and provincials in Ontario and Quebec and some playdowns in there so uh our season on the scouting side would have wrapped up last weekend with the SO Cup and then uh you know this is really our downtime so when you get past that that point it's it's pretty much status quo in terms of um being quiet right now, we would have had a few uh national team things to take care of, but really, our scouting team has just been busy finalizing lists and making recommendations uh to gina and and her team and um just getting ourselves uh set up and moving forward to next year but uh generally on on our end, this is our our quiet time now where we we re- refocus and refurbish and and get ready for the the onslaught come July one. So I might have something different to say if it was
3: July one. Yeah, no doubt. I think from the hockey side, obviously um, (laughs) hockey Canada, one of our our world championships was one of the first uh, official big events to to be pulled because of this pandemic. So uh, that was scheduled for here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So uh, obviously that was devastating and difficult and, and, but trying to make the most of our time, uh, Gina obviously in her role has uh, set up plenty of uh, meetings with the coaching staff and the support staff. So we've just tried to be productive with our time and make the most of our time with planning and uh, trying to have plan A, plan B, plan C moving forward. So uh, trying to make the most of the time.
0: Yeah, sure. Gina, how have you been handling, you know, now with all the changes and so what's, what's some of the things that are a little bit unique during this time, that maybe you changed it up a little bit from previous years.
2: Yeah, well, to you know, Troy's point, you know, having worlds being canceled and, and not knowing necessarily what uh, when return to play will uh, will be and what that may look like, it, I think we definitely took an approach of, of uh, seeing this as a huge opportunity for us to really uh, you know put uh, put the course of action here for the next two years in place. We we normally run from event to event, and uh, you know sometimes have trouble being able to sit back and have a debrief and really have uh, you know uh, many aspects of our game from our mpc to our strength and conditioning to our coaches uh, kind of looking at what we're doing here and where we're going moving forward for the next two years so uh, to troy's point we've uh, we've maximized this opportunity to have a lot of planning meetings to really uh, set the course of action here for the next two years even though we don't know what you know what it may look like here when we're going to be back in action but uh, at least we've got a, a really strong uh you know communication plan moving forward and we've we've maximized i guess the expertise around the table uh from all aspects of our staff to make sure that we've got a, a good plan in place moving forward so uh we definitely took it as an opportunity to, to better ourselves and uh an opportunity to connect as a group and, and make sure that we build a, a strong plan moving forward so not ideal uh but i think everybody's in this situation so we uh trying to
0: make, uh, what is it, lemonade with the lemons that were uh, that were dealt. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, talk about the uh, the planning part now, right, where obviously different challenges, but the overview, right, of as, as we're kind of getting into, uh, talk about from the national program of, like, what's that kind of process look like without obviously diving deep into it, but the general outline of as a coach uh, talking about developmentally of, hey, we're trying to develop, you know, this team for the tournament, and talk about what that kind of looks like as an overview uh, typically over a course of a year
2: I can speak from a program standpoint and then troy can dive deeper into the details from a, a planning standpoint from our program obviously um, as we uh, as the landscape shifted last year without uh, our athletes being in a in a professional league for our, our senior athletes that are we're out of college. Uh, We, uh, we organized the season where we had mini camps. So we had several more touch points with our group and um, you know, we, we did as much as we could and we did a very good job at them, but we never really had a whole lot of runway to to plan and really uh, uh, make sure that we're maximizing, maximizing our time together. So um, you know, from a program standpoint, our planning is how, how can we make those days worth more? How can we make sure that uh, from the coach's perspective, they're getting what they want or they need. And and there's building blocks uh, for each of these touch points uh, leading us into a world championship. Uh, So that's kind of the planning from a uh, program perspective is, you know, this is kind of our season. Uh, These are the uh, um, uh, amount of opportunities that we have to mold our athletes. Uh, Where, you know, what's, uh, you know, what are we focusing on in all these aspects uh, moving forward and, uh, you know, Troy and, and his team of coaches will, uh, you know, create a, a more detailed plan on what that looks like from a coaching perspective. But from a program perspective, there's, there's lots of aspects that we're trying to, uh, to look at and ensure that we're developing our team from, from all aspects from our, our team chemistry to, uh, you know, the resiliency of our athletes and their mindset, um, you know, all the way down to, you know, our, our, our staff and our chemistry as a group so that we can be as strong as we possibly can be. Uh, for Beijing uh, 2022. Yeah,
3: truly anything too. Yeah, um, I mean, it's along the same lines, obviously, as what Gina said is it's a little bit different than a lot of other teams or programs that you run because it's, you know, you're following a yearly plan, but you're not with your athletes on a daily basis. So it's a a short-term event program. Um, You know, and and Gina, through the the entire National Women's Program, created a a program-wide model of Impact the Red. So the red days are the actual days that we're not together as a group. So how as a program can we impact those days uh, is so important because if they're coming in and expecting us to have a major influence on them just during the days that we have them as a group, Uh, we're going to be so far behind. So uh, obviously some self-management from our athletes' point of view to manage those days when they're not together, Uh, but then us being really efficient when we do have time with them. And for all these mini camps that Gina mentioned and and short-term event camps kind of leading into events, it's just being efficient and running a program that mirrors what you want the overall program to look like. So a little bit of mental performance, strength and conditioning, plenty of video, plenty of skills and all nice habits. So um, it, it's, it makes it really unique and fun for a coach because you're really, you're chunking up your year into little micro seasons and trying to execute uh, with a bigger plan in mind. Yeah, that's cool. Troy, how do you see the differences, right, from coaching
0: the full year, right, to these shorter term events? What are some of the things that have crisscrossed to help you in that education as a coach that you've learned from, you know, going from a full-season model to that shorter? What are some of those things you've learned, you know, wisdom through the years? The
3: the one thing that I would say is that – the best benefit that I had as a coach was the training ground that I had the opportunity through my provincial program. So working at Hockey Nova Scotia and then some other events here in Atlanta, Canada, because it just gives you some samples, smaller samples, probably with much less pressure. Uh, But what I think the most important thing is understanding that you don't have as much room for mistakes when you're dealing with, you know, high pressure situations in a very short term event. So, um, it's important, just like the athletes, the red days are so important for us as a staff that we can't just show up to a camp and then start to plan how that camp could potentially look like. So we got to make sure we're coming, benefiting from the red days so we can hit the ground running when we do get together as a group. So a lot of video in advance, a lot of drill planning in advance, uh, just building your program in a nice, safe environment at home. So when you are together as a group, you can be efficient with your time. Yeah, that's cool. Um,
0: we had somebody ask, it's interesting, is there a plan to keep the players uh, up with the habits of the game using Zoom or
3: other platforms? Yeah, uh, Gina has, as a staff, we've used the platform, different online webinar platforms. Um, and what we've done right now, we're of a, a side piece where we're going to do some professional development with our coaches and just some connection points with our coaches Uh, The staff and support staff have used it for planning, as Gina mentioned previously. Uh, The athletes uh, have a little bit of a social aspect of it as well, and we just started to do uh, a little bit of strength and conditioning as a group, but we also, like, very similar to our mini camps, we want our online presence to mirror what our program is, so there'll be a little bit of hockey talk, a little bit of mental performance, a little bit of strength and conditioning, and a little bit of logistics as well, so. Um, we definitely are in the midst of that right now. Nice. Gina Mel, anything to add?
2: I think the, the thing to think about is that one thing through this uh, this pandemic or, you know, the situation that we're in is that you look at the future and you realize that, you know, there's possibilities that we're building kind of an idea that we're going to move forward with as well. So we might never go back to normal. We might realize that these virtual uh, sessions could have a huge benefit into, uh, into our planning moving forward. So, uh, you know, as we get comfortable with technology, as people get used to, uh, jumping on these sessions, you know, there's a lot you can do. And, uh, you know, we talked of, of other things that we can do from player feedback that we could do virtually to, uh, you know, uh, some of the hockey talks that, you know, crowd a a short-term event, maybe you could do them ahead of time. Maybe you could, you know, get uh, you know some of some of the things that we do now we could do in, in preparation to our events uh you know to the point of you know we uh we have short-term events uh with the athletes and you want to try to you know have everything in there for them you want to make sure you're as best prepared as you possibly can before you know gold medal game is there ways we can take away some of that crowded you know, schedule where it's back to back to back and maybe give a little bit more free time for a uh, team builder or just, you know, rest and recovery. So I think this is teaching us that there's other ways we can reach to our athletes. There's other ways we can, uh, we can build our program around, uh, you know, virtual uh, sessions. So I, I think we're going to change the way we do things moving forward just because of this situation that we're in.
3: Nice.
0: How has, um, you so Trey, you got into the professional development for coaches. Um, we'd love to hear how how has that part of the process, you know, changed over the course of the last uh, I figure began it when well, the last few years, um, and it's coming up a lot more, right? And that's a topic that we've discussed here before of coaches making sure that you're developing yourself just as much as players are. And so talk about a lo- little bit about that side of the program of what you guys have been doing and. Um, what are the things that uh, help enlighten the other coaches of how to go
3: about you know, professionally developing yourself? Yeah, we've, we've organically as a program, we've just had a ton that just naturally happens where, you know, the the coaches that are involved with hockey Canada, it's a tight groups. So there's constant communication, sharing of resources and ideas. Uh, but through this time, uh, through some discussions with with Gina, Gina wanted to formalize the process a little bit and be, you know, efficient with our time. So all we've done is we just started the process. So what we're doing is we've sent out a survey to our the coaches that have been identified uh, with the national team programs just to get a little bit of their feedback on what they would like to see, giving them a little bit of a direction. So I think when you throw it out there to coaches, they generally want to talk about the typical things, you know, like offensive hockey, defensive hockey, forecheck, uh, but we tried to expand it a little bit to get more into, you know, how much do, do coaches want to know about presenting, speaking like a leader, emotional intelligence, you know, like some things that maybe you don't find in your typical uh, standard sort of provincial coaches clinic. So just kind of broaden it a little bit. And it, the good thing about Hockey Canada is you can do it in a very safe environment. you got a limited amount of coaches that can all work together and you can kind of run it through its own program. So the coaches that are within the program can present to the other coaches after a little bit of research. So uh, we're really excited about it and looking forward to what it uh, what unfolds from it.
0: Very cool. Mel, getting into some of the uh, – or Mel, did you have something to add? Look like you have...
1: Well, I was just going to say that, I, you know, uh, for all the coaches out there that, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to develop as a person and, you know, being isolated – teaches you a lot about yourself and half of being a good leader is knowing yourself. So, you know, I think this is early on, when this all started, everybody seemed to be all hung up on, well, how are we going to teach skating and how are we going to teach systems and how are we going to teach everything? And, you know, going to what Troy said there, and I know what Gina is supporting and building it, you know, it's a great opportunity for us as people to be a better version of ourselves um, you know, as we, we start to move back into the game and back into visible leadership roles and in person. So, you know, I would really encourage people, if you haven't started that yet and you're still hung up on, on technical, tactical and system that, that, uh, start diving into who you are and, uh, also the planning piece. I mean, I would go back to the short term competition questions. You know, your, your yearly plan is a series of short term competitions. And understanding that all of those build towards where you want to be, and you can't be at Mach 10 and trying to win a Stanley Cup every weekend and every weeknight. So, you know, taking the time, you have the time right now to, to plan or to, to build, um, and using that time wisely in, in sport, I think, is crucial, uh, whether you're an individual coach or a national sport
3: organization.
0: Fantastic wisdom. Awesome. Um, Mel, continuing on on that process of how things have changed, right, from a scouting perspective, what kind of uh, – how are you going about that process currently? Well,
1: right now there's no hockey to scout, so I don't know if we have a job. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as our, our scouting team, I see a number of them are on this call. You know, we've we've uh, really had the opportunity to, to dive into all of the players that have been on our lists and talk to coaches and, and look at video. A lot of things that we we haven't been able to do, you're, you're jumping event to event and and list to list. So that's been great. And and now we're in a process of actually talking about what do we want to do for professional development here moving forward, Usually using the virtual platforms. Um, how do we uh, build out our criteria and have not only sort of written uh, written pieces about it, but the video backup and and support around that. So, you know, I, I really have enjoyed what we've done as a, as a scouting team to feed into the talent identification part of the, the national team programs. And I'm excited about where this, this team of scouts we have, where we'll
0: take this in the weeks to come. So, awesome. And Steve, we'll come back to uh, the question you had earlier for the minor hockey coaches, uh, just FYI, and then, We had somebody ask, uh, building from Mel's comment, can you share the best thing you've read, watched, or listened to recently uh, that left you thinking and reflecting?
1: Uh, For myself, I I mean, I've been doing a lot of the NHL Coaches Association uh, webinars, and and actually I used to read a lot, and I've started to get back into reading. So on a global view, I I like reading um, athlete stories, coaches who have coached, that type of thing. I'm not a big fan of the – the business guy trying to tell us how to coach. Uh, so I, I stay away from those, although I do pull out some points from that. And I really like a lot of the military stories, but the best one that I've seen so far are that I enjoyed the most. I guess there's been two of them. One was Jeff Ward's presentation on the national coaches association. The other one was Brad Larson's. Um, he kind of sucked people in talking about analytics as his title, but it, it really was about the art of coaching and knowing yourself and, and and being a good assistant coach as well, because uh, you know, looking at my career, I wasn't a great assistant coach at times. And and uh, the sooner you can learn how to be a good assistant coach, the the better you're going to be for for everybody around you. So, those are those are pieces for me, Gina. Troy?
3: The two now is uh, that I've been uh, the truth about leadership. And then there's one that's called Tribes. I think it might be a little bit older, but I'm not sure. It's by Seth Goodine. And then from that, I kind of went into a bunch of other things that Seth Godine wrote. He has a podcast as well. So uh, yeah, probably some older books. I'm not sure if they're new, but uh, I found them interesting. And I find even just the online webinars right now, uh, finding ways to get on as many as you can and collect as much information as you can. And, you know, sometimes you only get one little nugget out of them, but it might just be the, a different way to say the same thing you've been saying for years, but it might connect with today's athlete a little more. Gina. Uh,
2: Yeah. I, I really enjoy reading. So these days I have a little bit more time in my evenings to read the the right of a lifetime, uh, CEO of, of Disney is a really interesting one. I think we can really relate to, uh, to sports and trying to build, uh, strong teams and, uh, build, uh, one that I know Marshall and I, uh, have, uh, dabbled in quite a bit, uh, is, uh, what drives winning? Uh, you can read YouTube it. It's, uh, it's all about, uh, college sports and, uh, really looks at building teams and, and interviewing different coaches and how uh, how different approaches are in in, uh, in different programs. So uh, I think again, to, to Troy's point, is uh, just hearing from other leaders and and really just uh, taking one or two points out of everybody and uh, you know possibly applying it to yourself. I think there's a, there's a lot of gains to be made.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we had somebody ask earlier, and it kind of goes keeps going on top of. Uh, so how are you monitoring right now with all the athletes, physical fitness, uh, mental health, as this is dragging on? Anything that? stand to yeah.
2: yeah, we uh, well, we are with KINDUX, so we do have uh, daily monitoring with our athletes on a normal, uh, with a normal day and a normal year that we normally would do. Moving forward here, we are doing virtual sessions with uh, all of our programs, so UA teams, and as the Troy alluded, our, our senior athletes, so uh they do have their uh online uh, uh workout program at home so with various different uh, levels of equipment and and uh you know pretty basic but uh, making sure we're touching on everything that we need to touch on uh, and then there's virtual sessions that they uh they join in uh we are going to start uh, the mpc piece as well and and making sure that we're we're checking in on them uh on just how they're doing uh this is unorthodox for everyone but pretty stressful for an athlete that's uh, you know trying to make it to college and maybe is going into her freshman year and not knowing what that may look like and uh if she's actually even going to go to school or not or you know feeling like she's falling behind because she's not in the gym or not on the ice so uh just checking in to make sure that they're they're doing well Uh, you know wellness wise and and just are are staying as resilient as possible so the more connection we have with them uh, if it's uh, you know weekly touch points and and uh, making sure we we keep monitoring them on conduct I think the the better it is for sure just because of uh, the unknowns bring a lot of stress so we want to make sure that we're there for uh, for them just as uh, you know as support uh, first and foremost
0: absolutely um we had i see mel and the uh, crew at coach girl over canada when i'm out recruiting so i'm curious to know how gina troy and mel about on um, where the state of the female game is in canada currently do
1: you know that you tackle that first
2: <laughs> you'd probably have a, a, a really good view on it just the state of women's hockey in general i, I just feel like we're uh, you know, I think a lot of people feel like we've taken a step back because there's no professional league. And uh, I do I do believe that there's you know, we might have taken a step back in a sense. But I, I do believe that we're going to leap forward here. It's just a matter of time where uh, the next chapter is is where we start building the foundation to a professional league that's sustainable and that will, uh, you know, help grow our game. Uh, from all aspects from coaches to athletes to support staff to the visibility of our game and and to really try to build uh, something that will you know uh, 20 years time we'll be talking about remember when we you know weren't playing and and that uh, um, you know we you know uh, put a bit of a stance but it was all worth it because now look at the great league that we have and the great opportunities that we have for the women's game from all aspects so from that perspective uh, I do think we're in a in a position that we are, you know, hopefully we'll see, uh, you know, a push forward and, and a little bit more opportunities here coming uh, coming our way. But uh, it's an interesting time for women's hockey in general. It's uh, it's definitely a uh, you know very very interesting time.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's I think the book was it called the tipping point. Um, you know, that's where I sort of see us. We're at we're on this this edge here where if we do things right, we can we can really um, take the game to a, a phenomenal level. We definitely have the numbers, we have leadership, we have all the pieces. It's just, you know, working together to build to build where we need, um changing some viewpoints, I think at the uh especially at the U eighteen level, um and, and understanding the decisions and the the levels that those those athletes are 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 working towards achieving and um and and balancing it with calling it minor hockey versus, you know, how we perceive junior hockey and and those types of things. So, you know, I think we're we're right on that 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 edge of, of taking it to the, in the right direction and doing the right things, learning from the men's game as to uh, maybe uh, things that worked or didn't work, and and trying not to not to repeat the same mistakes as we grow and get better. And and uh, and I'm sure that their game the men's game will also learn from us in, in those steps so it's, it really is an exciting time and I had somebody ask me a couple of weeks ago about um, you know regrets or, or pieces around it and uh, you know I, I have no regrets really but I sure wish I was a coach or a young female growing up in the, the game right now as a leader because the opportunities uh, are are limit, endless there for for female leaders if you you want to go after it and and for young players just the fact that you know it's a given that you can play it's it's the things us as leaders have to do
0: to make sure that pathway is as fluent as possible we'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor bloodline hockey bloodline hockey has been at the forefront of developing and pioneering a mental performance mindset shift for players coaches and parents worldwide if you are a coach, player, or parent looking for mental performance programming specific to the hockey culture, please visit bloodlinehockey.com to learn more about how bloodline hockey can assist your mental performance needs. Awesome. Troy, anything else to add?
3: Oh, uh, all great points. All good stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, so, building upon that, Troy, getting into so, you know, how are you handling the next generation of girls, right? So, now as things have changed up, I would love to hear your take on from developmental standpoint. There's a couple of these other type of questions as well. We can kind of dive into, but what's, uh, what are the challenges? What are the positives? How are you feeling with that part of things?
3: I usually, I get asked a lot, like, what's the difference obviously for coaching guys versus coaching girls? And what's, what's the difference with coaching older athletes versus today's generation and, I kind of, Gina was laughing earlier when we were chatting, but I give the same sort of answer. And I think if if any coach out there is coaching any one group of those people the same way, then they're missing the boat to a certain extent. Like I think a good coach, that is, say, a man coaching in the men's game, um, he has to be smart enough to understand that each individual athlete has different You know, upsides, downsides, intricacies, and and ways that you're going to connect with them. So I think the smart coach uh, finds ways, uh, whether they're coaching men, coaching women, whether they're female or male themselves. So I think that's one big thing is just understanding that athletes' needs – age gender all those things I think the athletes needs are are different and your job as a coach is to find out how you can best connect with those athletes so I think that's the kind of umbrelling part I think um, if I do dive a little bit into today's athletes I just think they they have so much information at their disposal that they require information to make them tick so um i think good coaches uh take the time to explain the why with everything why we're doing this what's in it for them individually but what's also in it for them as a team so uh breaking down little aspects of the game but explaining why you're doing it and how it's going to benefit them individually as well as the team Love that
0: we had somebody asked uh send an email question to kind of maybe get a little bit more into it of um have you witnessed any major shifts in terms of the focus areas for the development over the last five, 10 years? Um, And then in line with it, technology, I think we touched on how it's impacted and how maybe, yeah, I think we've hit on the athletes training, but the major shifts, anything that's like been significant,
3: that's like, okay, this is much different than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody can speak to this. I'll try to give, like, I think skill focus obviously has been huge. And I think it's, it's much needed. I think it's a huge, huge part of the game. But I think it's very important not to make it so much an individual sport. I think, I think there's a way you can maintain skills and individual skills. But I think what is needed more now is the concept part of the game. So how are you developing skills? How are you showing why those skills, if implemented properly, can impact different concepts in the game. So getting away, no systems, I don't mean anything like that, but just, you know, here's the skills that you need to help create two-on-ones, to help create odd man situations, to, you know, find F3, I think. So I think there's going to be a – I hope there's a little bit of a shift from a, a skill focus to not eliminating the skill focus, but just a more broader concept approach to the game. Mm.
1: I I would jump in and say that as well. I just had a conversation yesterday about this actually, is that the skill level of the athlete now is unbelievable. I mean, Gina was highly skilled in her day, um, but they might even chase Gina down uh, right now. So, um, I mean, the skill level is unbelievable. And everybody here can teach systems. Everybody on this call, my mom can teach systems. It's all there on TV or uh, online. Um, but the concept part is what's missing and uh, the good, the good coaches now understand that and can teach the concepts and then they can fit in any system. Um, And I, I believe that would be the challenge for all of you out there. Are you teaching concepts or are you teaching individual technical and systems? Because if you're only good at those two or only teaching those two or don't understand How the concepts flow and how to teach them, then that's the biggest threat to the game um, in all areas. If if we're developing a a group of players that I call it can do all the sexy things uh, with the puck and uh, can play any five-man system that you draw up or that you communicate, but if they can't do the part in the middle, then the game isn't going to grow. Can you guys give an example
0: conceptually? Like, give just one. So coaches understand, Hey, this is what I mean by concept.
2: Even just the concept of support. And I agree with Mel and, and Troy a hundred percent. I think there's a, there's a shift in, you know, to Mel's point, we've got very, very highly skilled athletes, but um, you know, there seems to be missing possibly, um, you know, maybe the hockey IQ. And I think, you know, back in my day, Mel would have told me to do something. I wouldn't have thought, what, what are you talking about? But throw a puck out there and, it comes naturally to support my teammate, to you know, to to be uh, my, making myself available, using space, spatial awareness, and all things that you either learn on the pond because you're playing 12 versus 12, and you want to keep away the puck and you want to make sure that you have it. When you know, I think my generation played, but these athletes are all in very structured environments, so that they, if you don't teach them. Uh, how to support the puck and how to create space and how to maximize, like attract someone and be able to put the puck behind someone else. They don't necessarily see it. They just know how to stick handle and how to skate well. And so it's it's connecting the dots. It's uh, it's the need of the game. It's understanding the game, reading the game and being able to, uh, to juggle that, that I think is a bit missing with the lack of multi-sport athletes that we have, but also the very structured, uh sessions that we have and to troy's point the 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 deliberate focus on skill development which is great but there's there's another piece to that it's connecting it to the concepts and uh why are you why are you stick handling why are you doing a cutback here why are you doing these things because you're attracting it you know attracting an opponent you're creating space you're looking here and there for your teammate it's kind of putting it together i think that's uh that's the missing missing piece
3: Yeah, One of my first hockey camps I went to, it's such a simple concept, but one of the coaches on the ice was standing by the blue line as they were doing an entry type of drill. And the coach just every time, on every entry, they just kept saying, look middle, look middle, look middle. So the concept of look and middle is is more the habit there that creates the hockey sense. And it's like I heard a a recent webinar where I think it was an NHL coach talked about. Like hockey sense is just a byproduct of good habits. So I don't need to have great habits, but if I'm constantly looking to the middle or constantly playing the game with my head up, I'm in a better position to make good decisions. Um, so we're, you know, as coaches, I think the time spent teaching good quality habits will get a lot more out of our athletes than focusing on something as difficult as hockey sense. So that's a concept that, uh, you know, I picked up. I remember thinking it wasn't a big deal when I heard look middle, look middle. But in a way, it's mind blowing because like, it changes the whole view of that player as they enter. They're more likely now to see their options. So it's those types of things, teaching those small little things that any kid based on their abilities can do. Um, and then I think the hockey sense just follows. And I would, I
1: would add in there too, like earlier on, the question was asked about books to read and things like that. Like, I mean, grab two or three peers and and jump online and throw some clips up and talk about what you're seeing on the habit side. Um, I would suggest that a lot of people have trouble diving down to the habits. They just see where the system broke down or what, what's going on there. So you know this again is a great time to be able to do that to have that banter with another coach and and see what they're seeing and them seeing what you're seeing and discuss it so you know that that's a a great point on the habits and and uh, you have the opportunity to help yourself grow in that area too
0: yeah that's awesome Belle. i was actually was going to ask to uh, elaborate on that of how can you actually develop that right because as a coach seeing those things is different, but I love that collaboration piece. And uh, Troy couldn't agree more on that end of, I think it's the lack of intention, right? Cause it's, we, our brains are filled with so much knowledge of systems and other things that when you're running the practice and you get into these things to intentionally think about those concepts, it's a different way of thinking, right? It's not what we're used to as coaches, uh, keeping that top of mind. Um, love that guys. Um,
1: I'll just throw one more thing there, Vince. These guys would have got sick of hearing this when, When I was uh, uh, in Gina's role, but I always used to say when you're running the five-man drills, if they're breaking down, it's not the system that's breaking down. You haven't taught the habits and the concepts, and that's what's breaking down. So you need to back up to the point where, you know, you still have a bit of chaos in your learning as well. So, um, you know, we challenge people on that end as well. But anyway.
0: Beauty. Um, Continuing on to the... You know, message here, uh, Steve McAllister asked, uh, Troy, when you talk about the presenting part, what type of messages do you give to your players pregame, between periods? Uh, how long do you take to deliver those messages? And how, where do assistant coaches fit into that dressing room communication?
3: Um, I'm not a huge, like I'm sort of a flat line type of guy. Like I'm not a big rah-rah or I don't feel you need to give the big speech all the time. I usually hope that one of my assistant coaches brings a bit of that or the athletes themselves. But as far as like a pregame talk goes, like I keep it very simple it, it to some extent it's scripted in the way that what I will provide is pretty standard. So a lot of times I like to give two offensive things, two defensive things, and then more of a vision or a bit of a motivation like a, you know, talking about the scenario we're in and the importance of that game, as far as um, in between periods would go would just be, you know, a, a couple of adjustments that may need to be made early on in the talk. And then a couple of things that we're doing very well that we need to continue to do well. Um, and I think it like you're in and out, like that's their space. I think, especially with a, a guy being involved in the women's game, it's even more so their space. So, Uh, I get in, get out, Uh, but I think probably the most important thing for the way that I coach is sometimes it's just that little walk from the bench to the dressing room and who I decide to walk beside and the conversations that I may have with that player, and if I feel that that player uh, may have the, you know, get what my message would be and their message is similar, sometimes I'm quite okay with them being the one to carry that message, And it's hard to explain, but sometimes it's just a little look. It's just a little nod, like I got this, and I like passing it on if I can at times. So uh, I think Mel used to say, you only get so many bullets, so you got to be careful when you use them. So if you can spread out those bullets and let them use them, I think it's valuable. Mel, I can imagine you in between periods just getting
0: after the girls.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I might be able to comment on that. No comments. <laughs> no i the problem when i co- when I coached was that within the first period I could see what I missed in practice or what I missed previously and and all I wanted to do was get to practice the next time so I could fix it uh and he had to live with what was going on so you know i generally i mean i liked i like to tell a story or connect it at the front end in the in the the uh pregame and then between periods i mean if if the shit had hit the fan, it hit the fan, but I, I, I wasn't much, much for that at times. Um, like to reinforce back to our keys to success. I find coaches do a lot of work on keys to success and what we have to do. And then when the first period goes to pot or, or you're doing something differently, they forget all about what they'd planned to talk to. So to try and stay on target there. And then, uh, I mean, post game, I really just, whatever I wanted them to say to the media or to their parents as minor hockey, that's what I told them at the end of a game. It was it might not be what I wanted or what I wanted to address. I would do that in the, um, the next practice, but whatever I wanted them to say to the media or what I wanted them to talk to their parents about or say to their parents, that's what I'd try to say post-game. And, you know, interestingly enough, as I've listened to more and more of these webinars and a lot of coaches talk about how they don't go in the dressing room um after a game um I think I would really look at that now um and uh just leave like Troy said let the leaders uh take care of things in the room after um but those would be be a few of the points but I mean the thing biggest thing I see is that people do all these keys to success and have these things lined up they want to accomplish that's what they tell the players on the start and then they go, side, they go sideways as leaders right away, and, um, you know, the players start to tune you out when that happens. Mm-hmm.
0: No doubt. Troy, as we're um, keying in on those keys to success and kind of building upon that, of uh, give some insight into what is one to two things that you look for in a player when deciding whether or not they make the team. Right, somebody ask. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, a few things is maybe how they've been coached before. So the habits are so important. If people come into your program with good quality habits, there's so much you can do with them. Uh, I think coachability is very important. I think one of the natural things that people talk, usually the first thing they'll say is skating. Obviously skating so important. Um, but I've had a bunch of conversations over the last few years with both Gina and Mel about this, but, I think one of the most important things when you're thinking about any skill is do they use it to actually impact the game and by that I mean like I've seen a ton of players that can fly around the ice like no other they don't know how to use that to their advantage or their team's advantage and the same thing with someone who can you know have an unbelievable shot but in practice but don't find ways to get open or to get it off in a game so Uh, Based on the skills that are important to those athletes, do they find ways with their hockey sense and abilities and habits uh, to have it impact the game? So those are the biggest things for me. Uh, Well,
1: Gina? I could, I mean, I believe consistency is, is important over time on the scouting side of things. Um, you know, how, like, like Troy said, how they use their skills to impact the game on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, do they demonstrate that sort of innate ability to elevate their play uh, when time calls for it uh, so you know what you're getting day in and day out? And, uh, you know, I think those are important pieces as well. I mean, the, who the person is is, is crucial. Um, we often talk about we, we want good people who play hockey not hockey players who may or may not be good people. I mean, we want, we want good citizens and solid citizens. So, Gina? yeah.
2: Yeah. All, all great points. Hard to add to that. So I just add to the great person piece, uh, not just great person, but do they add to the culture of your team or do they fit in the culture of your team? I think, yeah. Uh, you know when you look at trying to win a a gold medal it's it's not just the talent uh, that you're putting out there is it's the chemistry it's the it's how the the group plays together and and plays for one another and uh whatever culture you create or whether whatever uh field that team has in terms of team identity uh add to it or not and i think that's that's a very important piece and um, I think as as athletes here, you, you also have to, to think about that. You know, where do where do I fit in that culture, uh, and making sure that you're you're adding to it but not taking away from it.
1: And I, I also like, there's probably a lot of minor hockey coaches, college coaches on. Like, you know, obviously we we're real fortunate at the national level. We get to pick the best of the best. Um, sometimes you have 14 kids or 15 kids, and that's that's what you have and. You know, I, that's one of the challenge, biggest challenges of coaching is not teaching the hockey side of it. It's it's helping them understand, you know, the good things um, about themselves and then about what society expects of them. And then also, um, you know, the consistency piece by you as a leader. Sometimes you are the most consistent piece in their lives, uh, how you communicate, your presence, your behavior, how you treat them. Um, so again, for me, it goes back to who you are and then how do you, how do you create good citizens and good people or help to that culture so that as they move on to a higher level or a different level or a different part of their life, you've ingrained that in them. And and now you're, you're turning out, um, you know, tremendous people who can be successful in whatever culture they're put in.
0: Yeah, I love that. Mel, if you can, you know, continue on in that of um, creating that culture of excellence, right? What were the big takeaways for you of, you know, 2006 and 10, where right, you ended up, you know, winning the gold? And uh, what were those big takeaways of experiencing culturally and getting into that when you're trying to create that excellence piece? What are the what are the big things you learned from those experiences?
1: Well, both those teams were very different, um, as um, people who were on them, Gina, can attest to. I mean, uh the 06 team loved being with each other. They loved, you know, being, being together, um, doing everything together. Uh, The 2010 team uh, liked each other to an extent, but also liked to have their space and time. So, um, you know, sorting all that out, uh, you know, I think believing you have to create a, not only I let Gina talk to Culture of Excellence and Troy on, on all of that. I'm a real big believer on the, you know, the environment that they're in and, and going through the ups and downs of, of winning, losing life in general. I mean, we had teammates that lost lost family members, all the types of things like that, and how, how you support that and grow as a group and, and moving forward. So, I, you know, for me, it's everything you do um, creates an environment for them to be, uh, you know, a culture of excellence or whatever. I mean, I've had, since I've stopped coaching, I've had many say to me, you know, I was never, uh, never, uh, never happy with uh, our performances or how we did. And, you know, if I go back and I had to do that, I would spend more time helping to find out what excellence in the fact that, you know, you close the book on a day and it, it was excellent, but tomorrow you can be excellent again and it can be better. And, you know, both those teams had that mentality that tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow will be better. And, um, we were able to to focus on the fact that we were working towards you know one game at the end of the year and and we had to be our best at the at that game, which is a a lot different for a lot of teams who have to work through qualifying for playoffs um making the uh you know the every round of the playoffs and then making the championship round so um the players themselves i think were were so instrumental in the buy-in and, and the things that they did, whether it was individually or as a group and how that formed. And then finally, the importance of your staff is is second to none. So there's so many pieces of it. And I know Troy and Gina are, are building uh, an incredible culture of excellence within our program, continuing to build, and and uh, would have a lot to say on that as well.
2: Yeah, that, that was a pretty good summary of it, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know if I have a whole lot to add. Uh, you know, Mel is right. It's the environment that you set. It's the, um, it's the space where, uh, athletes and staff feel like they're being pushed, but they're being pushed in a, uh, in a safe way, if that makes sense. So it's a bit of a yin and a yang. And you want people that, um, that are invested in deepening their relationships with one another so that uh, to Mel's point, when the going gets tough, you know, that, uh, everyone has each other's back and that doesn't happen when it's, uh, all, you know, peachy and keen and everybody is, you know, friends and it's, you know, you have to go a little bit deeper than that. You got to get to know people, uh, for who they are and, and accept people for who they are and, uh, you know, gain a better understanding and appreciation of, of one another. And to Mel's point, I think it's, it's really important to have, uh, you know, athletes that have that buy-in and that connect to that idea. Uh, But staff is equally as important. And, uh, you know, they create the tone, they set the tone for the team. And, uh, you know, if everybody is eager to grow and, and want to push one another to to reach those levels, and sometimes you have to go into spaces where you're uncomfortable, where it's might not be all peachy, but you're doing it because you know, you're going to grow as a a group, as an individual and as a group. Uh, I think that's the culture that you're trying to create. But culture comes naturally. It's not a, there's not a set rule. There's not a, there's not a book that you follow. Uh, I think if you base everything that you do on relationships and, and people and putting people first, I think you create, uh, uh organically the culture that the team and, the, uh, you know, will build eventually and, and it becomes an identity. It's not a, it's not a formula. It just becomes who you are as a group. So, uh, but so important in, in success in my mind for sure. Troy, Troy has, uh,
3: a lot more to that, I'm sure. No, no, it, all like awesome points. Uh, I mean, the only thing that I would say is that it, like a lot of teams, and I, I've been guilty of this in the past, is you know, a lot of times we think culture is an, like is an activity. It's like a session. It's we're going to do a presentation on culture. We're going to put a poster on the wall, and we're going to have a t-shirt, and we're going to move on, and. I think we've obviously our culture has been impacted a lot in the sporting world with people like the all blacks and the success they've had with building culture. The difference is, is the culture that they've created. They, they fully believe in it. It's, it's at their root of who they are as people and it's their values to a core. And I think that's where we miss the boat sometimes. So we need to, when we're creating culture within our teams, is build it from a core foundation of values and if you do it's pretty easy to live it on a daily basis so you know it should it should influence your decision making your player selection your staff selection it, if you truly believe in it it's it's much bigger than just a session or two we love it
0: um we had somebody ask so if we keep hammering away at the culture piece of along the lines of the women's game, one of the best part of coaching girls is the pure spirit of the game uh, while trying to promote growth of the game with high performance versus grassroots. How do you keep that spirit in the game? This often gets lost in the co-ed or male side of the sport.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there. I I uh, Again, I, I, it still comes back to environment like you should be aspiring for every player or every person on your team to be successful as a person first, not just as hockey. Um, And where we lose our way, I believe anyway, where we lose our way is when we're only focused on that Stanley cup championship on the weekend or that world championship at the next game. And, you know, that goes back to planning your year and, and what do you want to get out of it? And and being okay with wins and losses or whatever they whatever they end up to be. So um, you know you're creating you're creating an environment where where everybody is going to be successful. And I, I often use this this analogy. I, I coach a lot of sports, but I used to coach softball a lot. And I had a girl that could could run like the wind. Um, she couldn't catch. She could hardly throw. And getting her to hit a ball was tough. But we taught her how to bunt. And, uh, you know, we, we worked hard at that. We, we got her to a point where we she could play in the field. Um, she could, you know, do the things she needed to do to be successful there. But she could bunt and she could run. And, uh, you know, we put her in the batting lineup where we could use that bunt and where we could use her on the bases. And, um, you know, when I talk to her now, and she's the mother of, of triplets, Um, she still talks about the fact that, you know, how she felt about herself and her contribution at that point, you know, led to to future things, uh, for her and her confidence. So, um, you know, it is, I, I see it all the time that we're so high performance focused and I, and I wonder where grassroots went and where did the fun, the fun always go, but that, that's up to us. Um, and I'll get one more story here because I could talk forever on this. I'm pretty passionate about this piece. You know, I coached a team once where we were 0-21-1 or something like that. And I remember I had a father talk to me after. He goes, I don't know how you did it, but you never won a game. And my daughter had the most fun she'd ever had playing the game. Uh, and this was at a college level. So, um, you know, it's what how you do and how you approach it that that determines that. If you want to make it all about high performance and winning and, uh, you know, big, uh, those types of things, then then no, you won't be able to balance it out. But if you you make it about everything and you work at it, then you can balance it. Hmm. Gina, Troy?
2: That's pretty good. Pretty good answer.
3: (laughs) The one thing that I would say is I find it funny that at the grassroots level, that that fun would be taken out of the game sometimes because even at the level that I'm coaching right now, at the high performance level, if like the players don't hesitate to at the end of practice, skate by and say, Hey, no fun today, Troy. Like they, like they will let you know if you're not having some enjoyment or putting some games into the game. So I find if we need it, to keep our high performance athletes going on a consistent basis, then it's definitely needed at the grassroots level. So, um, yeah, like we, we make sure, or if we're doing a good job, we should be making sure we're incorporating fun on a regular basis because I don't think fun is the enemy of structure or the enemy of building a program. So you got to make them wanting to come to the rink on a daily basis for sure. Mm.
0: So there's a couple of questions here that I think we could try to uh, almost mold together. Of uh, So we had Lindsay had asked, uh, how can Hockey Canada's coaching development program improve by adding the work of culture and values into courses as opposed to uh, more binders of systems? And then the second part to that, I've already touched on it, how do we coach coaches on developing concepts and patterns? And we had somebody else ask about practice stuff. and come back to that. Um, but, yeah. How, how to add in that work of culture and values into courses?
1: Well, I, having gone through the, the full system to where we're at now, you know, we're, we're a generation that we want it. We want it now. We want it easy. Why do we have to go to this weekend course? Why do we have to spend a week together um, when we could do this all online? And and for me, that's where we've lost some of the the culture because the only way sometimes you can understand the culture of environment and the, the team and the hard work and, and reaching a goal is, is to go through it together with fellow peers. And, you know, I, I'm not saying when we went through it and I, you know, you never want to sound like your parents, but, you know, back in the day when we had to walk uphill to, uh, both ways to go to school, um, we, uh, you know, you spent that week together, that weekend together and you walked into that room, not knowing anybody or not knowing you know, where you fit. in. in my time, sometimes I was the only woman. Um, and you uh, you left on Sunday night not wanting to leave. You loved it. You loved every minute. You learned a lot of those things. You had time to talk about concepts and, and pieces. And so I think, you know, we have to work hard to find that meld and, and build it. And, and as a generation of coaches, we, we we have to be mindful. We can't take the easy way out we 've got to ask those questions if someone does a, a system presentation we've got to ask well what are the habits we need what are the concepts we need um, but again what what drives or what entices people is the the big picture system stuff and and uh, I would I would say any one of you started talking to each other that's the first place you would go to or you would go to the individual technical so Um, It's not just Hockey Canada's responsibility. It's all of ours' responsibilities. You you deliver what the client wants, and if the client is taking this and that's what they are attracted to, you you do that. But if we as a generation of coaches want more or want different, um, then that's what will be provided.
0: Mm -hmm. Anything else guys
3: said? No, good. First couple Yeah. I think those, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I think um, one thing at the provincial or municipal level, I've always believed that coaching should not be a revenue stream. It should be an expense to associations and businesses. Um, And then the other thing, I think the early levels, the first couple coaching levels you take should have nothing to do with hockey. It should be, I believe it should be value-based and how you can teach values through coaching a sport.
0: Yeah. Huge point. I think that's the big thing I know that I always see with coaches, right? Is that that standard that you have in place. And I think a lot of times, especially getting back to grassroots versus high performance cultures of how the differences happen in there of when you're talking about so many leadership books and everyone always talks about the value system. What, what do you stand for? What's your standard? And yeah, you, you don't see it enough out there of what, well, what is that? And are you ready to commit to that when one of your first line performers is acting very differently than the other, you know, than the other players that's on the fourth line. And I think that's where a lot of times with the winning versus development piece, things get twisted up. Does that, do you see a lot of that culturally in the women's game is like from an ego standpoint, And that part of things that dealing with the same issues from a value standpoint of, Hey, it's about that, that winning piece and, um, that ego part of it. Well, it used to be that, that we
1: coach hockey as a volunteer.
0: So Mm
1: -hmm. the only time you were worried about your livelihood was if you made it to the pro ranks. Uh, but the majority of the time uh, you were a volunteer and you're just trying to do what was best and what you thought was best by the, by the game um, as the games evolved and I don't think it's a bad thing, but it, it, it has definitely changed how we approach it as leaders. Now it's become a lot of people's livelihoods. So they deliver based on what the, the clients more. So the parents than the kids want. And as a result, if they don't deliver that, then they don't have a job. They don't have a livelihood. And you started to see, you know, that trickles down now from pro down into the, into uh, other ranks. And it's right down into minor hockey as Troy, Troy has mentioned in terms of organizations. And that I I really believe that that's the challenge there is that the, uh, the things that have made our game so good and so great are, are being challenged or are in, you know, that's I go back to the tipping point of our game are, are in a bit of, a bit of a, a luxer in trouble there because we're making decisions at times based on finances and based on um, uh, surviving as a, as a person and, and a living versus, you know, being able to build and having people patient enough to wait, to see what the product is that you can deliver in a year or in two years, however long it takes.
0: Yeah. And then dad, Troy, Gina. No. Okay. Cool. Um, so I'll, i put together these two. So Steve McAllister had asked earlier for the minor hockey coaches on the chat who may only have 50 minutes of practice ice. Uh, what would you suggest in terms of structure, conditioning skills, development tactics and order of these and any other elements? And then we had somebody else that asked, um, something similarly, as far as, uh, how much small space drills are incorporated into your practices. Uh, Would you see this as helping with developing concepts and incorporating fun? So, the structure of practice and then the small space rules.
3: (laughs) Definitely best to answer. Putner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think I'm glad you joined them together because I think they both kind of answer each other. Like, uh, you know, I think the use of your smaller uh, games. Uh, helps teach helps develop your skills but also helps you teach the concepts so um i can't imagine even at you know at this level i can't imagine running practices without small area games Uh, i think they bring the fun in it Uh, we almost like i know through our centralization year prior to the last olympics uh you know we it was a plan to end every practice at least with a small area game And then when we didn't, we heard it from the players. Um, Now I think it's just being creative where you don't need to have it as just your carrot at the end of a practice. You can be doing split group work with small area games on a consistent basis. Uh, I think it might have been, Gina, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of our last mini camps was generally all small area games. It was all small, little Mm -hmm. skills and concepts. So I think it's a big part of it. Uh, to kind of get more into the details of that question. um, I would hope to some extent, I I don't think the conditioning aspect is a huge part of minor hockey. Um, And if it is, I think you could help build that off the ice a little bit. If you do have 50 minutes, I'd want to make sure I utilize the on ice uh, for the skills and the habits and the small area games and the fun as much as I can. If we need to, incorporate conditioning, uh, I would have a program that could take care of that off the ice.
1: And I would just jump into small area games. I mean, I I live by them. I believe in them. I believe the challenge and why coaches don't use them enough is they don't dig down deep enough as to what they teach and what the players get out of it and what they can teach as coaches. You know, I hear it a lot of times like, okay, now we'll have some fun, so we'll play a game. (laughs) Well. it's not about having fun to play a game. And I see it all the time too, when we're watching, maybe waiting for games or or watching practices, you know, the game starts and the coaches all lean on their sticks and talk to each other or go down and shoot pucks at the other end versus understanding the teaching moments that happen in those game situations.
0: Beauty. And coaches remember, Smaller Games presentation on Tuesday. With Larry Grass. <laughs> uh, getting back, Troy, on the um, relationship part. Uh, there was a question here we had, guys. Of uh... You mentioned leaving the room to the team, and by doing this, do you find it's a bit harder to build the relationships with the players? Uh, if so, how do you compensate, or what can you offer to help with creating
3: those relationships? Yeah. No, I don't think it. Uh, in, impacts in a negative way at all uh, given the dressing room to them obviously I'm dealing with older athletes as well so I think they would want that time to themselves uh, as far as the, you know building relationships I think it's just sometimes it's not always being coach it's just being a human um, you know both Mel and Gina talk about accidental conversations are key sometimes you just make sure you're getting off the bus with the right person and having some conversations. But I think it, the biggest thing I read a book a long time ago, I think pinball Clemens, the football coach wrote it. And he talked about making sure every day you have some sort of touch point with your athletes and call them by their name. I looked at it. I thought 52 to 55 athletes on a football team. I'm sure I can do it with 20 to 23 on a hockey team. So just finding a way, whether it's just to say, hello, how you doing? you know, talk about anything generic. I think it, you'd be surprised how much it opens up to other conversations. So I think the athletes need to know that you're not always business. You you know, there's a business side of you, there's an accountability side of you, but you're also there for a personal aspect. Um, I think that's key.
2: I think dealing with uh, an older a- athlete and obviously it might be a little different at the minor hockey level, but you know, them a part of what you're building. Uh, you know, the collaboration, the feedback, the, the opportunity for them to provide their thoughts and opinions are, are really, really big. I know as an athlete, I certainly appreciated when I was asked upon what my thoughts were, but that builds trust between you and the coach. Uh, and I, I think it, it deepens that relationship. So from an older perspective, if you're looking at college or, you know, the high performance level that, that we are at, I think that that deepens the relationship fairly quickly when you open it up to uh, their thoughts, but not only listening to their thoughts, but if they see that it's been somewhat implemented, uh, if there's multiple athletes that are feeling the same way, I think uh, I think it goes a long way.
0: I love that. And coaches, we have uh, seven minutes, and uh, we had uh, somebody asked, "Do you think the days of being a multi-sport athlete up until university is long gone for our elite-level athletes?" It seems like hockey has shifted to a 12 months out of the year sport for high school-aged kids, and for those who don't choose that route, uh, feel like they're falling behind. What are your thoughts on hockey seeming to become an early specialization sport?
2: I think accurate. I think uh, you're seeing less and less athletes uh, being able to do things that are that felt seeming less for us back in the day, and. Uh, you know, again, I don't want to sound like Mel saying that I you sound like parents, but, uh, it, we are going away from that. And I, I think it's a shame. Uh, it's it certainly, you know, to the point of the, the concepts that Troy has spoken about, uh, you know, spatial awareness and all that. You can learn that from playing other sports. You play soccer. It's all about spatial awareness. Uh, you know, developing as an athlete is so important. And, um, you know, we are, I think, uh, going away from that because again, uh to Mel's point, I think you you follow, uh, you know, parents are putting pressure to make sure that the, their kid gets all the opportunities possible. And if the next door, door neighbor is, you know, playing hockey 12 months a year, you want to make sure that your kid is getting the same opportunities to succeed. And uh, it's that fine line, but uh, I do see a lot more value in our athletes that are athletes. Uh, those that are coming up at the U18 level that have played other sports seem to have a better foundation a stronger foundation for us to be able to invest in and build on uh to make them you know their ceiling go a little bit higher uh, but I, I do feel that it's such an important piece and a uh, big advocate of of uh, hockey players that are athletes first i think that's uh that's really essential
0: mm-hmm. um if each of you could change an aspect of the women's game what would that be
2: The perception of it <laughs> I think we're slowly changing that but you know the more visible we can be I think people you know watching it live they realize to Mel's point in 2010 and now it's a different game it's so much it's even faster than it was uh, the athletes are, are that much more uh, they're stronger they're, they're more skilled there's so much more uh, and it continues to grow every single day but uh, it's a very entertaining game, and I think there's a perception that we're we're less than um, than the men's side, and uh, you know we're we're equally as as entertaining. And I think that's that's something I would love to to be able to change is that perception, uh, you know, that we're. There. And I think that will change with more visibility, and hopefully with a, a professional league moving forward, more and more people can see it live and, and realize uh, just how great of a game it is.
1: Yeah, I would I would echo and build on that. Like just the education. I mean, I had a coach say to me a couple of years ago and this would've been a coach that was coaching a number of prospective athletes for us, like they'd never seen a women's game live. Like how can you help somebody achieve the level they want to achieve if you don't even if you don't even know what it looks like? Mm-hmm. So, completely the, you know, that that area and and just you know, one, stop comparing it to the men's game. We run parallel. And we can each take the best of both worlds, but it, they're parallel sports. They're not the same, exact same sport, um, even though it seems like it. And around the education piece at the under-18 level, just, you know, everybody understanding all the different avenues of uh, that that young women have the opportunity to pursue, whether it's as a coach, as an official, as a player. Um, and, uh, again, not putting it all in one barrel and, and thinking it's, it's less than as, as Gina, as Gina said, and it's actually more than at that level than it is even for some young, uh, the young, young men in, in that situation. So, um, that would be it, you know, continuing to get a, a better perspective by everybody.
3: I agree completely. I often think of, Not comparing it to the men's game. It's different and it's okay to admit and accept that it's different. And I always think about tennis as a prime example. When, when I look at the female tennis game, it's a little bit different of a game than it is in the men's tennis game. But it's equally or if not better. And if I were to watch on TV, if I had the choice between men's tennis or women's tennis, I often would choose women's tennis. So It's it's a little bit of a different game with many of the same concepts. So I think to be treated as it is its own game and respected for what it is. Uh, Great analogy. Coach
0: Kim, a great question here. Um, How do you assess and track the strength of the mental game in your athletes? Uh, Confidence is a huge issue with younger players. How does that impact the senior level?
1: I'll spit out a couple of things to give you guys some time to think of your answers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, confidence is right the way through. I think every one of us on here would, would question our confidence in certain situations. So it's not just wherever. And for me, it comes down to continuing to build that environment where they can, where, where they feel confident as people first um, and move it through. But we're all going to experience that. Understanding what it looks like in your athletes, having those accidental conversations to help guide them and and help put them in in a situation where where they can feel confident, but I think understanding that confidence is up and down as a person and helping them understand that that's a part of of being a person is huge and and building the mental resilience with them and understanding that you have to build it. Nobody's ever going to walk away with 100 percent confidence every day doesn't matter who you are where you're at or what you're doing so it's a daily process
2: definitely agree with mel on that i do think it's how you value people and how do you make people feel valued in a lot of ways and in a team setting you know you're you know you want to make sure that everybody feels that they're contributing in a certain way and that they're they're helping the the uh to build on the common goal i think is really important i think you build confidence within that because you realize that you're you're helping accomplish something as a group and um so i think the way uh, i think the way we value people and the way we make sure that they they feel valued in what they do uh regardless of what it is uh, on and off the ice i think yeah has a huge part in in helping grow confidence
3: I would just—I mean, we're obviously lucky enough to have a mental performance coach as well, so that's very helpful to have a an on-site expert uh, to you know take care of that aspect of the game. But uh, I think it is like from a coach—if I you know from previous times when I had to coach and not in that situation—is is just having a very open dialogue with athletes, so they're comfortable in sharing thoughts with you and opinions with you. I don't. I don't think you can measure how valuable that is. Just having a bit of an open door policy where they can come and talk to you uh, in any aspect of the game.
1: I, I would also add in there that that you're not the only one impacting their confidence. So as much as you can um, educate and help the parents understand that. I mean, I remember working with seven and unders and and having a dressing room full of laughing giggling kids at the end of the game. And as soon as the adults walked in the room, there was more tears than anything. So helping them understand how they speak to the kids and, and, and you know, what that brings and how that affects a, a, a young person's confidence is important as well.
3: When I, when I first um, coached at a younger, like lo- younger levels or younger age kids, I, I remember thinking I had to know everything. I had to be their strength and conditioning coach, their mental performance coach, their their everything. And I think what I learned at a certain point was I maybe didn't have to know everything, but I I knew I had to be a collector of resources in those areas. I had to know where I could direct them if they were having maybe um, they needed direction in certain areas. So I think for any coaches out there that are maybe coaching minor hockey is to first understand you can't be the answer to everything. Uh, but you can be the collector of all the information and then share from there. So I think that was something when I first came to that realization, I stopped pretending that I was everything and actually was just a a good resource in all those different areas for them. Awesome.
0: Well, I apologize to the people that had a couple of uh, pandemic questions. I know we'll get that going. I know you guys have to run, so we'll, uh, we'll cut it here, but thank you guys so much. Uh, for taking the time and then uh, coaches as we move along. I'm sure at some point we can get more information on what's going on with all those parts and all that. But uh, Mel, Gina, Troy, thank you uh, so much for taking the time today. Truly appreciate it. Learned a lot. It was awesome. And uh, coaches. Yeah. Any other questions? You can uh, see us on Facebook. And for those that came on live on Facebook, thank you as well for joining us today.
1: Thanks everybody. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for coming on guys. Really appreciate it. How unreal was that panel? <laughs> it was so crazy. It was funny. I actually went back and as listening to it, just so many nuggets from them. It was uh, it was unbelievable. And like I said before, this is definitely one of my favorites for many reasons. You know, just all the knowledge uh, that they had shared with us and how open they were. Obviously, was huge. But then to be able to have the coaches in there with us and to be able to get their feedback at the same time and get more questions just made it for such a richer experience it was uh it was awesome it was all awesome. i know i enjoyed it <laughs> and as always would love to hear you know what were your thoughts anything that was helpful for you as a coach during the game as always would love to hear you know anything that you took away from here and how this unique experience of being able to have such a such a guest panel may have inspired you to be a better coach for the game let us know your thoughts in the comments as always please remember to hit the subscribe button if you'd love to stay up to date with our new episodes If you enjoy this content, please make sure to join our private Facebook group called Roger Nielsen's Coaches Connection. Stay up to date with all of your hockey coaching development needs. Our coaching group includes NHL, pro, college, junior, and youth coaches from all over the world. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Hope to see you in our online community. Stay safe.